If you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me please to John chapter 14 as we read together the first seven verses and then jump towards the end of the chapter and I will explain that when we get there. You'll find it on page 1675 of the church Bible. Those of you who forgot to turn your clocks back and missed the 8.30 service and are here now, welcome. I told the 8.30 I would give you a special welcome this morning, so good to have you with us. Before we have our scripture reading this morning, I have one additional announcement to let you know that from here on in, I will not be standing at the door on Sunday morning and shaking hands. And allow me please to ask for your patience in this As you know, in the course of a Sunday morning, I might shake five or six hundred people's hands, and I would hate to pick up some kind of infection and pass it to another. And so as a church, we're trying to take sensible options relating to the coronavirus. There are no reported cases in South Carolina, as far as I can tell, at least yesterday. But also yesterday, Italy as a nation sequestered 16 million people in the north of Italy. And so the medical advice we're receiving as a church is to say, minimize touching one another, your face, your hands, your ears, and so on. Make sure you have sanitary stations around the building, and we've certainly been doing that, and our staff are wiping down the common areas on a regular basis as well. So without being paranoid, we think we're taking reasonable steps. So please forgive me if I'm not at the door this morning. If you want to speak to me, however, and I often have great conversations at the door, I'm going to be standing right here, and if you're something you need me for, please do not hesitate uh, to let me know, and please be patient with us. I'm hoping at some point over the next five or six weeks all of this will lift and it will be behind us. But please be praying for folks, particularly our youngsters and our elderly who seem to be those who are infected much more readily than others. So thank you for your patience. Now John chapter 14. To help you with the context, this is taking place the night before the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's gathered in the upper room with his disciples. They have been sitting around the table and talking. And if you were with us last Sunday morning, chapter 14 flows very directly in terms of its major themes and focal points from chapter 13. And you may hear some similar themes to last Sunday morning. So we come to John 14 at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then jumping on to verse 25, almost at the end of the chapter, Jesus again is speaking and he says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I will give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. About six or eight weeks ago, the lovely Miss Ruth and I were settling down for a Saturday evening. It was around eight o'clock. It had been a long and busy day and we wanted to watch something on TV, maybe for an hour and an hour and a half before getting ready for bed. And as we were flicking through the channels, we came across a reality TV program called Hometown. And it features a young couple in their mid-thirties, Ben and Erin. Erin, she is an interior designer. Ben works in construction and they remodel homes. And I ended up watching three programs in a row, which I almost never do. I was so taken by this. And the idea is this, if you are moving into the town where they have this small family business, it's town in rural Mississippi, the entire program is quintessentially southern, it's as, just as cute as a button, you would enjoy watching it. I discovered not only was it a good program, but apparently there's a whole channel called, is it Home and Garden Channel? Uh, I haven't watched anything else, but I have watched this one. And so I'm eager to see it, and I was enjoying every bit of it, because they would be speaking with couples moving into the area, asking them what kind of home were they looking for. Then they'd take them to see three or four different homes. And sometimes it was a home that hadn't been touched since the 1950s. Some of the other homes were pretty badly remodeled in the 1970s with bright pink bathroom suites and so on. And it's fascinating to watch the couples come into a home and they look around the kitchen and the dining room and they look at the bathrooms and the bedrooms and they say, well, we quite like the location, but we don't like this and we need to change that. And by the time they assess each of the three homes, inevitably come to a choice. And once they've come to a choice, we would like home B, but you need to add a patio and a deck. Or you need to rip out all of the appliances and the cabinets and the kitchen. That needs an entirely to be remodeled. Or we need a larger bedroom upstairs. And you can imagine the conversation going on. And of course you are drawn into this program, especially when things start to go wrong. On one occasion, they were taking out kitchen appliances and cabinets, and right in the bottom corner, maybe about eight inches wide by six inches high, there was a dark patch. And you thought, okay, it needs a little paint and to be freshened up. And when they began to investigate, of course, there was damp in the basement and it was rising damp and it was a major problem. And so they had to put everything else on hold and focus on this. And of course, the cost is going up day by day. But the climax of the program, of course, is when the couple who have bought the home stand usually outside and the hosts have their hands over their eyes. And when they take their hands away, they see this wonderful new home. And as they go in and move from room to room, inevitably they say things like, I never imagined it would work out this well. This is absolutely spectacular. Thank you. And sometimes there's a tear shed as they work their way through. And sometimes they have knocked down walls. Sometimes they've added staircase, 
re-shingled roofs, major transformation in the basement, rewiring, re-plumbing, sanding doors, and so it goes on and on. But it's a wonderful program. Now, you may be sitting here this morning saying, Richard, okay, we are absolutely fascinated by your television viewing of a Saturday evening. What on earth has any of this got to do with John chapter 14? Well, having painted one picture in the 21st century, let's go back to the 1st century and I'll try and make the connection as best I can. Now, if you were with us last Sunday morning, you will remember this. That when John is writing his gospel, he begins, of course, chapter 1. He works his way through to chapter 12. And those 12 chapters cover the first three years of the absolutely unprecedented, extraordinary life of Christ. Twelve chapters. But when you come to the second half of John's gospel, what you discover is this. That chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 all take place in one night. Three years, twelve chapters, five chapters, one night. And it's almost as if John is saying to his first century readers and his 21st century readers, take a deep breath, relax, slow down. What you're about to read, the passages before you as you get deeper and deeper into these passages are of such significance, importance, I need your concentrated attention. And that's exactly what happened last Sunday as we worked our way through chapter 13. And we see it again here in chapter 14. And if you were with us last week, you remember we said that chapters 13 and 14 almost come as a matching pair. 14 flows right out of 13. It happens in the same place. The disciples are together. They have gathered for the Passover meal. They're sitting around a table. In chapter 13, Jesus got up from the table put a cloth around his waist, washed the feet of the disciples. And when Peter tried to pull away, he said to him, Peter, you do not understand what I am doing now, but one day you shall. And that was the refrain running throughout our study last week. And right here, as we come into chapter 14, chapter 13 finishes with Jesus talking about the denial of Peter. And as you come into chapter 14, Jesus reiterates what he's already said in chapter 13. He's told his disciples that he's about to leave them. He will no longer be there with them. And John records their feelings by saying that they felt as if they were orphans. He was abandoning them. The person who loved them the most who had spent the last three years with them, was now leaving them. And please remember what they had experienced. They had experienced one miracle after another, after another, after another. One day it was feeding 5,000 with a handful of loaves and fish. That night, Jesus is walking on the water in the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm. And he is restraining and controlling nature in all of its power and fury. 
And they have discovered over the last three years that they have been walking with and listening to and become good friends of the Son of God. And now he tells them he's leaving them. And they quite naturally are distraught and they're hesitant and uncertain. And so chapter 14 begins with these memorable words, words we have been brought up with, words we hear at funerals again and again, as Jesus says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house there are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back for you, so you can be with me. Now let me pause there and try and make the connection between the first century and the 21st. When Jesus says to his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house there are many rooms. As he prepares for us to spend eternity in his presence, he also, in the course of our lives, prepares us for that day. And he prepares us for that day, at least in some ways, like remodeling a house. In other words, when he comes to us and we hear the gospel speaking into our lives and we discover his love and his grace and he touches our lives and draws us into that relationship with him, he then begins to remodel and refurbish our lives. And it's a little like a contractor coming in and looking around and saying, okay, I think that will work well. I like those ceilings, but you absolutely have problems in the basement. And Jesus begins to shape and change our character and our will, our motivation, our desires, our passions, our interests, Every part of us, he begins to shape and fashion and change in order that we will become more Christ-like. And for some of us, if you will allow me to take the analogy to the next level, he will come in and he'll start peeling back carpets and old linoleum from the corners of rooms. And as he pulls them up, he sees the dust and the dirt and he keeps going And to his absolute delight, he has done that intentionally because he knows what's in there. He knows there are real maple hardwood in the living room and he knows there's oak in the back dining room and he peels away all the stuff that has been added in an attempt to make it more appealing when it was absolutely spectacular in the first place. And he does so with us. And he begins to refine our character. And he says, remember what I made you for. I made you for intimacy with me. And I loved you the way you were. And I continue to love you. But please understand, when I begin to remodel, when I begin to strengthen and equip, And when I take my time and I sand down old pieces of timber and I start to knock down walls and let in light 
and give you more space and draw you into a relationship of love and grace. I cannot wait to see the final product. I cannot wait. And when he begins to get to work in our lives, that is exactly what's happening. He's taking us and shaping us and fashioning us and working with us and sanding down the areas in our lives that need to change. And then he goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And he goes into the basement and he deals with the mold and he deals with the stain of sin. And he deals with behavior we deeply regret. And he changes our priorities. And he changes our desires. And he gives us new hopes and new dreams and new ambitions. And he brings cleansing power. And he strengthens us. And he makes us more and more and more Christ-like day by day by day. And here is the wonderful thing. When he looks at us, in the midst of all of our sin, in the midst of all of our disobedience, in the midst of the days when we shake our head and think, I cannot keep going as a Christian. When I pray, nothing happens. When I seek to be obedient, God never answers. What is going on? Even in those days, with infinite grace, he's sanding away. Because he is saying, you do not understand what I am doing now, but one day you shall. And he is creating for his father a priceless individual. And why? It's not because he likes you. It's not because he's even attracted to your character or your disposition. It is because he is deeply in love with you. Please hear that. Deeply in love with you. And he cannot wait to see the final product. If you have ever tried remodeling a home, you will know what that's like. The first third, you are full of enthusiasm. Can't wait to get to Home Depot and order paint and timber and nails and screws. And especially men, we feel so macho coming out of Home Depot. And we can't never get enough electrical tools, never. And of course we come home and we lay them all out and about a third of the way through our work rate drops off a little and halfway through we can't be bothered anymore and we look around the house and we think why did I even start this? Look at it, there are five or six rooms, none of them finished. What is going on here? Why did I begin this? And of course the more you expose, the more expensive it Becomes, and the more expensive it becomes, the more you explore, and suddenly what turned out to be an eight week project has been five and a half months, and you're nowhere near finished. You think, What was I thinking? But please understand this when He begins to work in your heart and soul, when He begins to shape and fashion you and move you to that deeper, intimate level, he never, ever gets frustrated. 
never looks at you and thinks, why did I begin this? He never throws up his arms in despair. He keeps on with infinite grace and love, sanding away, measuring, cutting, installing, screwing, knowing exactly what he's doing as he puts in new stairways as he refurbishes a dining room, as he pulls out all of the old ways of thinking, the old desires, the old behavior patterns, and he throws them to one side in order to create this wonderful, spectacular person. You do not understand what I am doing now, but someday you shall Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust me, I've got you. I've got you. And then Thomas, whom we know as Doubting Thomas, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And here's Thomas genuinely seeking, seeking understanding, seeking for answers, trying to participate. Help us understand what's happening And Thomas is not a million miles from us because there are at times God will allow things into our lives. Things that bring pain and difficulty and challenge us. And we think, Lord, why on earth would you do this to us? What is going on? This is breaking my heart. What is taking place here? What are you doing? And he keeps on going keeps on working, keeps calling to us. It's okay, I've got you, you can trust me. One of the great qualities of the Christian faith is this. Simple perseverance. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Days when it doesn't make sense. Days when we can't work out what's happening. Days when we can't see the big picture. And he gets alongside us and puts his arms of love and grace around us and says, keep going. I've got you. That's what's happening here. And when Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way. What are you doing? Help us understand. Of course, he looks at Thomas and utters what has become some of the great verses in all of John's gospel. And he says to him, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way. And since that day on, Christians, generation after generation, for over 2,000 years, have been saying, without Christ as the way, there is no way. There is no way. Without His life, there is no living. Without His truth, there is no knowing. Thomas, I am the way. You can trust me. I've got you. That's what's taking place. And please hear me when I say this. Now when God begins to work in our lives at that level, and He begins to go into those dark recesses that are hidden from public gaze, and no one else knows, And he begins to clean them out. And he brings his own love and grace as 
disinfectant, it will sting a little. Because he's changing a lifetime of habits. He's changing behavior patterns. He's changing ways of thinking. And he is seeking to make us more and more Christ-like day by day by day. He's seeking to encourage us to live as he would live. To hold on to life as he understands it and creates it within us. And it is the best, most contented, most fulfilled life of all. And in the midst of it all, he pours in truth. Because he is convinced, and rightly so, of course so, that with Christian belief comes Christian behavior. We cannot say one thing on Sunday and live any old way we like during the week. We cannot. There's no authenticity there. There's no credibility there. That's why Jesus says, I am the truth. Follow me. Now, if you were with us five or six weeks ago when we were in John chapter 8 and Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, we spent an entire morning dealing with the concept of truth. Do you remember what we said? What we said was this. That in a 21st century setting, our culture and society around us tells us again and again and again, there is no such thing as truth. We each get to determine our own truth. It may be true for you, it's not true for me. No absolutes, no standards. And yet, in reality, we know that it's simply not true. It's not true. Ask someone who has just gone through divorce because of an extramarital affair. Listen to them talk of the sense of absolute and utter betrayal. Tell me that doesn't hurt. Tell me there aren't standards. Of course there are. And honesty and integrity and character and holiness and righteousness matter for Christian people. Not only do they matter for Christians, they matter for everyone in our state and our nation. Because we know what it's like when we look around and we see families decimated because of domestic violence. We see lives absolutely blighted and withered through alcohol and drug abuse. We see the enormous consequences and the absolute horrendous nature of human trafficking. We see it. We live with the consequences of it. Please don't tell us there, are, there aren't standards of honesty and integrity and truth. And as Christian people, we believe they matter. And moral and supernatural principles are important. Spiritual truths matter. And they matter. And as Christian people, we hold on to them. In fact, we believe them to be self-evident. We believe that within the bonds of marriage is the place for intimacy between a husband and a wife. And we believe it's for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. As long as we both shall live, loyalty, faithfulness, integrity matter. That's why we hold on to Christian biblical standards. Not because we have some desire to be narrow-minded or considered odd or judgmental. 
never comes into our mind. But we know that when God begins to change a life, and he brings with it his cleansing power and his love, and he begins to reshape, our lives and fashion our lives after Christ. That is the greatest of all possible lives. And that's why he can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And our job is to hold on to it. And it means this, that in the course of a week, as we seek to live out our faith, not just Sunday morning, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as well. And it means this, there are programs on television we will not watch. There are DVDs we will not buy. There are movies we will not attend. Not because we're narrow-minded, but because we believe there is a better way, a richer, a fuller, better life than sordid. And I think I should stop there. We don't need it coming into our living rooms. We don't need to be reading it at the side of our bed. We hold on to Christian standards and values because they matter. Holiness and righteousness is for us self-evident. Now, you may be sitting there saying, Richard, I couldn't agree more. I'm a fan of living out my faith. I want to grow in my faith. I want to move to the next level in my relationship with Christ. But Richard, just between you and I, I want to tell you, I have tried. I honestly have tried. I've tried to be obedient to biblical principles. i tried to walk close with Him. I have tried again and again and again. And there are times in my life that there is besetting sin and I cannot get over it. I cannot get over it. And I've tried for years. Or perhaps this passage of Scripture this morning is just for you. Remember how the chapter ended at verse 25? Jesus says, all of this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. What am I saying? Please hear me. That when the Holy Spirit enters into a person's life, when they submit and surrender their life to Christ, at that point, you have the enabling, powerful grace of God at work in your life. And here is the secret. When you are ready to stop trying, that's the moment you step over into start trusting and saying, Father, I cannot do this. I have tried and tried and tried and failed. Father, you need to help me. And here is what will happen. He will reach inside and he will take your deepest desires and affections and he will transform and renew them and he will make those desires and affections his and he'll hold you close and you'll sense his power and his enabling grace because you've stopped trying in your own strength 
and you can trust him. Father, I surrender this to you. I cannot deal with it. I cannot cope with it. It beats me up every time. Father, strengthen me. Let me focus on you and may my deepest longings, my intimate affections be transformed by you so I will no longer be attracted to the lifestyle I once lived. That's what you call remodeling. That's what you call refurbishing. And he is once again with infinite grace and patience Sanding down those whom he loves and creating you to be more Christ-like. And right there, you may hear him say, You do not understand what I am doing now, but one day you shall. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust me, I've got you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the words of this passage from John's Gospel. Enable us, please, in the week that lies ahead, to come back to this passage again and again. Allow us, as we come to you each day, to trust you at a deeper, richer level. Take our deepest longings, our natural affections, and remove them transform them, change them to be Christ-like in every aspect of our lives. Father, allow us to submit and surrender to you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.